Matthew is one of the Gospels. One of the Gospels that was kept in the Bible. Yes. There's a few that were thrown out. So whatever God, whatever Matthew says... He's a tax collector, <laughs> too. I don't know what that says about him. And I was happy. And then I met Martha. <laughs> yourself to this stuff also. Oh, I can't eat this. Do you want, I'll help you with that. Yes. I saw this guy with mustache. You want a taste of this one? No. No, no. You eat. But they will be in front of her. No. It's so simple. Let's, let, let's forget everything, okay? We kill your pianos! <laughs> Wait, and this may or may not be wine. You'll never know. And... Go ahead, Huck. And then I just put hand <laughs> on one of the pianos. <laughs> we have a curtain, which is going up and down. <laughs> and then my agony starts. <laughs> During the uh, Matthew's play, curtain is down like is now. Uh, I should be more serious, yeah? <laughs> it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be great. You know, wow, reverse, it doesn't, yes. it doesn't work. Are you gonna, are you gonna honk yeah. that horn on the last time? No, yeah. You do also. Just do it. I never would have guessed I'd be having a sandwich with you off the Adriatic Sea right now. Neither would have I. In front of the curve. In front of the curve. And okay. leave. Talking about the history of music. Them on the this is coming from the guy who plays 15-8 time on his freaking scores. Then you hide behind the curtain and you take Matthew and you go for a second bow. 6-8 for me gets pretty dangerous. <laughs> we deserve a good pat in the shoulder. I feel like because of the music sharing experience there's already a connection. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Man. <laughs> That's how we met. <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> That's like the best intro ever! I'm so psyched to be here, thank you. Yes. Uh, hello and welcome everyone to another episode of the Going Solo Podcast. This is Matthew Mayer, uh, your humble host coming from Omaha, Nebraska. I am so excited today to have the amazing Cheryl Englehart. Um, Cheryl, she has so many things. Um, among them, I was I was taking some notes here before our conversation. Um, she's a classically trained pianist. She's a composer, performing artist. She's a graduate from Cornell. Um, I thought this was super cool. She was a scuba diver uh, for the United States Geological Survey. I mean, it's, it's just so cool. She released her first album in 2004, um, which received uh, VH1 and Billboard Song, Songwriting Awards. Um, so here we are several albums later. Cheryl's a professional speaker, a blogger. She hosts and uh, the creator of her own podcast called Key Conversations. Check that out. Um, and not to mention all the amazing people that, um, that she's collaborated with and has helped in her own pursuits. She actually just shared this stage with Sting. Um, you may have heard of Sting, but yeah. So it's just, just amazing. Um, so without further ado, Cheryl... Thank you so much for being on the Going Solo podcast. That was like the best intro ever. I'm I, so excited to be here. Thank you. Yes. No, I, I'm so excited to have you. I know, you know, every time I, I follow you on social media and, um, you know, I'm always keeping up. I've actually taken a couple of your courses, which, which are, are fantastic. Um, one of the first questions I like to ask my guests is how would you 
how would you elevator speech yourself if someone were to come up to you and say, who is Sheila Engelhardt? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say I'm a composer and songwriter and career coach. And my shtick is making sure that people are feeling fully self-expressed and really clear on what they want so they can communicate clearly, no matter what means that is, whether it's email or through music or uh, pitching something. You are, you're scuba diving, you're writing songs, <laughs> you're touring in England, um, or, or was it Ireland? It was long, you know. I, the, yeah, I toured all over, all over Europe. None of these things are present tense anymore, by the way. I'm no longer scuba diving for the government. I'm hey, no longer but, touring all over Europe, but <laughs> have been done. I, t-shirts, got this, been there, done that, got the T-shirts. Uh, you got the yeah. T-shirts. But the <laughs> point is, is you still have done all of these things. That when you look at it, it's like sometimes some of these things are unrelated, but you happen to continue to have this career where you're bringing, you're always bringing all these things together. How, is this something that you started out or, or can we start this off of saying, did you start out as a musician and that's what you thought you were going to be? No, no. I had, when I was growing up, I had posters of whales and dolphins on my wall I was like I'm a marine biologist and I just happened to be forced to take piano lessons um forced like I remember like sucking on my arm every Tuesday to try to like show that I had some crazy rash which I later <laughs> learned like I basically was giving myself a hickey to try to get out of piano since it worked only once where I like yes. got like it was intense um I used to hate I used to hate my piano lessons. And then in high school, I got into theater a little bit. I got into musicals. I got into um, a choral group that was sort of like a magical, very, you know, like hands held here. If you're watching the video, it was very proper. We sang in the White House. Um, And so that, you know, I was like, oh, this is, you know, cool. And then when I went to Cornell, I was like, yeah, I'm I'm going here to be a biology major. I'm going to study and maybe go into um, marine law. I was kind of thinking that direction. Um, but I was taking all these electives in music and my advisor said, Hey, um, if you pick like two more courses, you could double major. They didn't have minors at Cornell when I was there, but you could double major in music and this biology major. And I was like, uh, okay. Cause you know, my whole thing was like two things. I was on the crew team and I was the musical director of an acapella group. Like I, very often you could find me dating two guys at once. Like it was like, like, <laughs> like two was kind of like a thing for yes. me. So it just made sense to double major and have multiple passions. I was very aware of how lucky I was to be at that school and to um, take advantage of everything there. So I was just like, yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, my parents would, my dad was an uh, engineer, but he also was an upright bassist. And he actually went to Cornell as an engineer and he played with this ragtime band in the same bar where I was a bouncer oh when my I was, gosh. I, yeah. So, and yes, I was a bouncer, but that's another story. But, um, so, you know, there's music in my family and like my, you know, I had this connection with my dad ab- around music and my mom was creative too. She got it. But you know, when I would call home, they'd be like, so how are the bio classes going? I'm like, they're good. And I'm like, let me tell you about this cool project I'm doing in my music major. And they'd be like, okay, but what about the science class? And I'm like, so I sort of had this mindset. I mean, they've always been supportive, but I, I, I think that it was a very subtle training that like music is a hobby. So, you know, my first job, I went to a recruiting science recruiting thing at Cornell and I got my job, you know, doing water quality research as a scuba diver for the government. And that led to like, you know, the water getting too cold. We had a month off or something. And I got asked by a friend of my mom's friend's son to go to Italy, to Rome for a month to video. And because I did a lot of multimedia stuff to video and score a bunch of videos for a hotel's website there. So that was kind of my, I was like, sure, I have this month off. I can go do that. And that was my first experience doing like a freelance music gig. And I never went back to the, to the river. Wow. 
So, wow. yeah, so the answer is no. I was not like, I'm going to be a rock star one day, which I'm still, I don't consider myself a rock star or a composer, but I was composing piano pieces from when I was age five. I, I think one of the ones I wrote when I was seven was in my Cornell application package Unreal. That as a performance. So I, I had always been a composer, for sure. So when I was in college, I think my parents kind of approached music kind of the same way. You talked about it as a hobby. Not mm-hmm. necessarily it was a hobby to you, but hearing from your parents, well, yeah, you know, that's great. But it, it, it sounds like there might have been some more like, all right, well, that's great that you're doing your music, but make sure you continue to do uh, yeah, your science was that kind of how that was, or it felt like, it felt like that. It, that could have just been my perception. I, I don't yeah. know if that would get argued right now, but I mean, they would come to every single acapella show, like yeah. any concert I did with you. Know, so like, there there was full support for that. Um, but then again, it was you know probably an excuse to see me. It's not like I'm putting on shows with the the microbes that I was studying in the biology. So you know, um, you know, they had an excuse to come up and I was doing something fun. They would come up for my crew races, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, back then I felt supported, but I, I think looking back and like the conversations were definitely like, how's the science going? How are those classes? And, you know, growing up, I always heard, you know, I could literally make a bumper sticker out of this. Like you need to get good grades so you can get a good job and stand on your own two feet mm. before you find someone like mm. that was like the order of things. Yeah. And, oh, um, you know, industry is definitely not, it's not considering getting a good job. Although I did end up landing a job as a assistant tech at a jingle house, a music house in New York city that writes music mostly for commercials. And that ended up giving me some opportunities to stay late after the other in-house composers would go home to write and try to win the commercials that they were working on. And I started winning. So I, you know, started to become a composer there and then ended up leaving there to go tour and do the singer songwriter thing. But, you know, that was still a day job and it was cool that that was available to me, but I, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have a a job in the music industry then. So, so did that job, so that was after your scuba diving, did that yeah. start to open your eyes on the business side of music? And it- yeah. So I wasn't writing songs or performing or anything when I was at college, I was just in an acapella group. Like I was still writing my piano music and like I started writing poetry a little bit. Um, I took a poetry class cause everything that I was writing when I tried to put lyrics to my music ended up being about like rainbows and unions and flowers. Like I yeah. literally get anything of substance out. Um, so I took a couple poetry classes and those sort of helped open up some lyrics for me, but I did not write my first song until I was driving cross country right after college with some friends and, and I sort of put it together. So I wasn't, I mean, I missed a huge opportunity because Cornell is such a, it's a huge school, first of all, and it's super support. Everyone's so supportive of what anyone else is doing. So I could have probably started a fan base there. And I see people starting in college. I'm like, yeah, that's so good that you did that. I wish I did. Um, and I already knew about email. I was like pretty up with email even back then, which is kind of like, I dork out on that now. Um, but I was like one of the few friends of mine that would like send an, like an update to all my friends. I was essentially sending a newsletter like once a semester to all my friends from high school, like, here's what's going on. Like, we'd love to hear from you, you know? And I was using that as a way to connect with people. But, um, I don't remember your question. I tangented so no. bad on that one. No, so no, that's that's good. So you were in the you're in the industry, and then after that, you started touring. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I started touring a little bit before then. So the timeline, real here. Let's. I'll give some dates, and people can figure out how old I am, and I don't actually care. So 2002, I, I graduated Cornell. I worked for six months. Here. So it's no. I'm, yeah. I'm right with you. So 2002, I graduated college. I got a job for six months at the United States Geological Survey. I went to Rome for a month on our break and never came back to the USGS. Um, did some personal training work for a little while. Got a couple really terrible horror films as a, as a freelance composer. 
my first films that I scored were, they were all horror films. I don't know why. And then I got a job through a friend, my sister's friend's dad, uh, owned an editing house. So they, they would cut the commercials and those guys did a lot of work with the company I ended up going to that did the music for the same commercial. So I got to meet them. So I got some editing chops. Um, while I was at the editing house, I moved to New York city. I lived in Harlem. I lived there for 12 years. My rent was like 400 bucks for the first couple of years, which was awesome when you're like trying to do the indie music thing. That's reasonable. Um, that's good. Yeah, that was great. And, um, and so that's when I, what I actually did was I joined a band. I went on Craigslist and I looked for people looking for backup singers or keyboard players. Cause I was like, I think I might want to do this, but I don't want to like go out on my, like, I don't want to just like dive in. Let me see how someone else does this. So I joined a band and performed a little, realized that this, the people I was with, it was down. I made some friends in that band and like stuck with them and then moved on and was like, okay, I think I'm going to start doing my own songs, worked at the jingle house, was able to record some of my stuff there. Um, you know, finished my second album, fan funded a third album, you know, left that place to go on tour and start touring more with the band that I had put together and had been playing around New York city. And, you know, every weekend I would like get away and go to, you know, DC or Philadelphia or Boston or Portland. Um, and then we started doing other tours in, you know, in California and I did a bunch of ski resorts in Colorado and New England and all over the place. So I did that for, I met my husband, he was at a show in Portland, Maine. Um, he's a mountain guide. So I would, I sort of started to follow him around cause I was able to rent out my apartment. And so I went to a lot of mountain towns, did a lot of ski resorts and started to be like, all right, now what? And started to meet some people doing the freelance composing thing and then met some people at college humor wrote about 60 different scores for their, you know, and got back into the freelance composing thing. So that took me all the way. That was about 10 years of that from 2002 to 2012 and touring. And, you know, I was at the jingle house for three years before going, going off freelance. Yeah. That's the, that's the story. And then the, the turning point in 2012 was I got my first, there are three things that happen all at the same time. I got my first feature film, which takes up a lot of time. You kind of need to be in your internet to download these huge files and upload huge files and traveling around wasn't really working. Um, I also got married that year. And then months after my marriage, my dad died and who was like oh my, my musical inspiration. So all of those things sort of had me be like, I don't want to be on the road anymore. Um, I love my band. I love performing. I loved what I was getting from the audience. But when I got married, I was like, Oh, I think I was looking for this kind of love and approval and I got it. So I kind of was like, I think I'm good performing. And I actually like had to hire, it was the first time I hired a career coach to, cause I was like, I think I'm just going to go back to science. I applied for some science jobs. I was like, I'm done with music after my dad died. And, and he was like, okay, so that's fine. Go apply for those jobs. Like tell the universe you're serious. And as soon as I started applying, all of these composing jobs came up, like all, it was like the universe was like, uh, uh-uh. I actually was like, it was like my dad was like, Mm-mm, no, and Aww. you're going to keep doing music. So I, uh, I said yes to a bunch of things and there we go. At that moment, when when your father had passed, why do you feel like at that point you were like, nope, I'm done with music? I well, one of one of my mentors who lost his grandmother, who was his inspiration for a lot of things, he said he's like, yeah, you feel like you lost your audience. So if you don't have an audience when you're this kind of musician, one that has been playing for audiences and creating for audiences, um, and I started writing songs for audiences, lyrics and things that you know, that it, I wasn't doing my piano music from when I was ten and twelve, and you know what I had been doing um he's like when you, f- when you lose your audience you lose your desire to create for an audience because said audience is lost <laughs> so it's kind of like you know this mindset I think I was sort of stuck in that cycle of well I don't have the person like I don't have that I think I mean it was very subconscious I wasn't thinking like I lost my audience I don't have anyone to perform for because I know that wasn't true I know a fan list and I you know it was and I, I mean I think it was also just grief how it was showing up for me um 
And yeah, I think I just was like, I don't know what to do. So I'm going to change whatever I can. I can, I'll change my career. I can change my career. So and then shortly, I, I'm not sure. It's and then shortly after that, you're like, you said the universe says, no, hold on. You, it's like you yeah. made this deliberate uh, objective decision to say, nope, I'm done. And then all of a sudden you get this flow. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like very clear to me that it wasn't, I wasn't done. <laughs> Even though I tried and resisted and, and it was, it ended up being, it was fine. You know, it was good to not be done. <laughs> wow. Um, can you give some background on all these other things that you're doing specifically, um, you know, what you're speaking on, what you typically blog about and, um, what your passions are behind some of those things. Yeah. So around that time, so about six years ago, I got asked to speak at a music conference, um, called the Millennium Music Conference. And someone there, um, the CEO of Reverb Nation, Lou Playa was like, you need to write a book. And I was like, yeah, no, um, that turned into uh, an e-course I had called the Jumpstart Strategy, which basically took the five things that my coach and other trainings I had done. I had always been into personal development. I had done some leadership courses and other things that were interesting to me that friends had invited me to or something. And I was like, sure, sure. I was kind of like a yes to that that conversation, even though I wasn't really seeking it out. And I sort of realized that like the stuff that got me out of a rut wasn't like, knowing more people in the music industry. It wasn't like it was, it was really more about like being really clear about who I am and having that clear elevator pitch. Like my shtick is communication and self-expression, like just knowing, and then I attract people that are like that. Um, so I had this talk about here are the ways that I got unstuck. Here are some things that I did. Here's, um, here's how I pitched my music to licensing companies. Here's how I landed $15,000 license that they tried to pay me only $500 for. Like I had a bunch of stories and I told those at this conference and this guy was like, you should write a course or a book or something. And I was like, eh. So I wrote the course and it actually sold really well. You know, I just sold it as an, as a PDF. And it's actually the thing that, oh, this is actually before my dad died. I had created it a year before my dad died. And then my coach that I, I hired after he passed away was like, go do your e-course from start to finish. Cause you are clearly stuck. Cause it's, it's a thing to like, when you hit a plateau, how to get unstuck. So I, uh, I did my course as it was designed to be done. Like I did every exercise. I did it in the amount of time. I, I, you know, one chapter a week, I didn't try to do it all in one day. And that, I, I think that's where I started to get really clear again on, on redefining what I wanted to do. Um, that, Speaking there led to me speaking at the ASCAP Expo and then South by Southwest. Uh, the I did a talk with um, a producer at College Humor. We talked about the relationship between a composer and a, a video producer and what that looks like. That got me sort of in with the South by people, and so I've gone back every year. Um, and now the CD Baby Conference is one of my favorites to speak at. And generally, I'm talking about either branding yourself, which is also communication, being clear on what you want other people to do when they land on your website. What do your colors say about you? What do your fonts say about you and what you want? Um, are they aligned or misaligned with your music and your your mission? Um, and that led to pitching, being clear on what you want so that you could really pitch powerfully. And I did a whole experiment with pitching to a hundred different companies when I was on a tour and, and sort of figured out that formula. And then that led to when you're communicating with fans. So I dug into email. I got asked to moderate a panel at South by Southwest last year on email marketing, which I thought was weird. Cause I'm like, I'm not an email marketer. I don't know. I just have a newsletter and like, yeah, they fan funded two of my records before I flew my band to, to Europe. When I asked if anyone had unused miles, um, I was like, Oh, I guess I'm good at email list. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I, but That's I dug awesome. in cause I didn't know about email marketing. So I spent a lot of money and a lot of time going to digital marketing conferences, like not in the music industry because no one, I looked, no one in the music industry is talking about email marketing beyond here's how to send a newsletter. Right. Um, so I ended up spending about 
a year, like 2016, 2017, like studying email marketing. So I'd be ready for this panel that I was moderating. And then I was like, of course, like musicians need to know about this, like this, like people shouldn't be sending newsletters all the time. They should be automating. They should be telling their story. They should be relating. They should be, they should actually tell their, their fans right off the bat. Hey, this is what you're going to get from me. I'm going to, I want to get to know you. I'm going to, I'm going to sometimes ask you to contribute or buy something like, you know, that's like setting them up so that they're not blindsided when you do sell to them because musicians are so terrible at selling their stuff. But I mean, the stat the like the very safe stat is for every one subscriber on your email list, you could be making $1 a month, one to $2 a month is, is the stat. If you have a thousand people on your email list, that's a thousand dollars if you're doing it right. So I created this rock your email list course to, um, to really empower musicians to use their email lists in the way. And I've been, my, I've been trying you know, I was, I was sort of winging it and now I have all these structures and facts and, and tools. So I'm, I'm readjusting how I work with my fans as well as my musician list. I'm always tweaking. I'm always, you know, re reworking that, taking feedback. So, um, that sort of takes us to today. I kind of split my time between composing for choral groups, theater commercials, whenever I get them, but that business is driving me bananas right now. Um, and, you know, I am doing some songwriting and new, new releases as an artist, um, mostly for licensing, but not even though I'm not touring really. And then my third sort of hat is this, you know, resources for musicians and that, that interaction and the groups and the speaking and all that stuff that comes with that. One thing that sticks out to me when you said, you know, someone might approach you and say, Hey, you need to write a book or, Hey, you need to do this at that point. I think sometimes we get in this mode of, well, I have to have a PhD in this. Or yeah. I have to be credited somehow in this. And it seems like you're Oliver. I mean. This is my, my basset hound. He just. <laughs> there he is. Lay down Oliver. behind me. All right. And you just, you just relax, Oliver. That is so funny. That is the best cool. dog on the internet right there. Oliver the basset hound. Follow him on Twitter. Or no, I'm sorry, on Instagram. Yeah. Oliver is on Instagram. The bat Oliver underscore the underscore Basset Hound. Yes. Be sure to follow <laughs> Oliver on Instagram. He's a funny dog. Just he's a legend. He's a legend. And he likes cheeks. Um <laughs> so what's so interesting about you is that it's it seems like you said yes in your mind and you started to take action even when even when you might have not have had the PhD in email marketing credential. Oh, I am really good at saying yes and then figuring it out. I like I know because yeah, I think it gives hope to other people to say, you know what? Okay, on the surface, uh, you should, you know, Cheryl, you should write a book. At that moment, on the surface, it might have sounded a little crazy to you, but you still did the actions and you still marched forward in that direction. And now, um, I've taken. Um, your pitch course, which was great, you know, and now people like myself look to you as, Hey, you're the expert in this. But at that time, that pivotal moment, you could have made the decision and say, ah, I don't really know much about it. Or I, even though you do, but didn't take the action in that. And I know I'm rambling on there, but I think that is a pivotal moment that I think people, if they were to take advantage of that, they could take themselves to that next level. Well, there's sort of two voices, like the one, the actual dude in front of me saying you should write a book. And then the one inside my head that says you're not good enough. Yes. So I'm like, which one should I listen to? Like, which one's going to empower me? If I try to write a book and it doesn't do anything, like uh, who cares? Like literally who cares? Um, yes. But the voice inside my head that's going to stop me is going to 
like we'll never know. Um, so I've gotten good, not, not good at like ignoring my voice and listening to other people only, but really seeing, okay, this is, this is an opportunity. The voice that's saying you are not good enough is that, that is a voice that I have been working on trying to ignore and, and just say, I am good enough. And if I'm not good enough, I know that I can figure out how to be. And that second part is the thing that I, I really trust. I mean, honestly, like I, I can attribute that to being a biology major at Cornell University. Like I needed to get good at research. And so that's why I loved this pitching experiment. When I had a hundred different venues and press and all this stuff, I was like, I'm going to send one type of email to 50 of them and one type of email to the other 50 and see which one gets more response. I like did biology on them. Like I, I you know, I was that. totally doing, yeah, I, I'm a super dork. So when I say I dorked out on email, like you can trust that I have not like no stone is left unturned. <laughs> like I go down rabbit holes for, and I think it's great. I think that was like part of who I am and why I had the pictures of the dolphins and the whales. Cause I was like, what can I find out? And, um, I think that's just part of my, my personality. I love the correlation there. So there, there's one example of how on the surface, it looks like biology would have nothing to do with your current vent- ventures, but here you are interlocking these seemingly un- related things and it's like no you spent all this time doing research and you were obviously trained in research because that's what you did in school and that has helped you become the success that you are in this other passion oh yeah i have an article on my blog my blog is living on gigging and i have a i have an article on there uh, i don't remember the exact title but it's it's basically like how how I use my college degree and it, I wrote it for all of the kids that have just graduated and have to go home at the holidays and explain to their uncle, whatever, that they're now doing music instead of using their communications degree or their whatever degree. And I'm like, here are all the ways that you are actually still using your degree, no matter what your degree is in, here's what you took. And, and I think that it's really important to know that even if you have changed paths, that you are still using stuff from the past and it's all, it's all good. <laughs> like to not be like, oh, I've wasted a college. Like, no, you didn't. Um, it's all interrelated. You know, I, yeah, to- totally. You, you mentioned the living on gigging. Um, can you also talk about your key conversations podcast and what you do with that? Yeah, it's the key conversation started season was um, members of my branding and money-making mastermind course. Uh, every six weeks I'd have six to 10 musicians, or, uh, sometimes it was less like four to 10 musicians. And what I, what I wanted to do was get an expert in the music industry to come talk to them. Um, and so I would say, Hey, I'm going to, and I use the audio, um, the interview that they asked the questions. I sort of moderated. And I said to the experts, um, you know, if you come on, it is a video call, you'll meet the people in my course, we'll press play, and then it's going to be a, a podcast recording. So it was basically other musicians asking questions that all musicians have, because they were represent. it wasn't just me asking questions. Um, so I did that for two seasons. And, and we had people like Emmy winning composers, like um, Sean Callery, who's a mentor of mine, he won all the Emmys for 24. And he scores Homeland and Jessica Jones and, you know, any favorite on CBS, like elementary and um, designated survivor and Madam Secretary. And, you know, we had um, Mike Calabrese, who's the drummer for Lake Street Dive, um, who also happened to be my drummer. He was amazing and generous. Um, I mean, we had so many people, Ariel Hyatt, who's just like a super guru in marketing and Rick Barker. And I mean, and any Ari, Ari Herstand, who you may know, wrote a book recently about the music business, how to make it in the new music business. Um, 
so just and then we had some artists that like big indie artists that are like had been signed and doing the indie thing now like toby lightman and Kristen hoffman and um so yeah i just i i got some licensing people it was a really great way for me to sort of um reach out to people i knew or wanted to know and and get to know them in that capacity and then also you know i didn't say okay now i want to pitch you my music but it, it was cool to at least you know have someone i could bounce a question off of and um definitely a lot of people in the advertising industry sorry that's Oliver shaking his his booty um so yeah so that was season two and then I decided at season three that I I wasn't I actually ended up automating this um it's called mx4 my mx4 course yeah so season three because I automated my course yes. I wasn't doing the the live version anymore I was able to to take all the material that I had perfected over 14 a six-week course 14 times um got all sorts of feedback and so what I did was I ended up just videoing the recordings and then I created a monthly group call so people could hop on supplements um so there was no more having live calls every week with with small groups of people so what i did is i decided to start talking to um musicians and interviewing them and slash putting them in the hot seat almost like i was coaching them a little bit so other musicians could hear themselves in that conversation and see what they could transform um in addition to other music business people but i sort of i brought it down to to people that were working musicians maybe at a level that another musician is striving for, but still, still working on moving forward. So season three, I changed up a little bit. It's still conversations, still really important conversations about, um, you know, I had people that were talking about like you getting a billboard, uh, you know, a number one on the billboard while having a nine to five job talking to Avi Bloom about handling anxiety, which is something I'm very vocal about. Um, while being a freelance musician, I had someone merch cat talking about how she runs her merch company for musicians and why merch is so important and really great tips about that. So this this season. So I was, I was pretty psyched to be able to, to still do the podcast and still have it be in line. Um, even though I changed the format a little bit. Uh, amazing. So I've got to ask you, podcasts, speaking, blogging, writing, constantly collaborating. How would you answer the question, how do you have time to do all this? I am a firm believer in you can have it all. You just can't have it all right now. Like I am not my seat when I finish my season and um for podcasts I'm like I, my the way I do my podcast is I do a season when I feel like it so it happened to be once a year but I'm not I have zero plans to do season four until I'm like really inspired to you know, um it's, it's funny you say that not to interrupt you yeah. but it's funny you say that because my actual first podcast episode that I launched was at the end of 2015 and I put that same I put that same expect expectation out there for me as in I don't have to put out a hundred episodes if I don't want to, I can put out one yeah. and I put out one episode in 2015. I put out one episode in 2016 It increased to two or three. And last year I had four or five. And now I'm just like, Hey, it, I think so many times we put this pressure on ourselves. Like, well, if you're going to do this, then you got to make sure you do da, 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 da. So when you said yeah. that, that just sparked this, like, no, like don't put all these parameters on yourself. Get stuff yeah. out there and put it in motion. I, I agree with that. I think, you know, 
podcast was one of those things where I was like, I'm going to, I do, I jump headfirst in a lot of things sometimes. So I, I actually listened to a bunch of podcasts on podcasting. I did a podcast course and I was like, All right, I'm going to do this the right way. Consistency is important. So I release every single Thursday, the entire season. Um, I work in, I work in waves for sure. And I used to freak out when I was a songwriter that I would be in like game mode and like not inspired at all to write a song. And I'd be like, I'm never going to write a song again, but I was in business mode. That's such a different hat. This is such a different energy to take up and to, to put out there. Um, and I really learned that when I'm in one mode to sort of be responsible for that schedule and do the work, but also like, it's okay to like feel inspired by one kind of work and then shift to another one. Like right now I'm, I have two choral com- commissions and I'm writing this musical. I'm in like very much writing music mode and recording it mode. Um, and I'm kind of like, Oh yeah, I got to update my email list and I got to, I'm doing a couple webinars this month with partners. And so those are like, I'm like, I got to focus on those, but, um, I don't do them all at once. I put things in my calendar. I'm a master of my calendar, which allows me to have more time than the average human being. I, I swear to God, when I got this coaching, um, it changed my life is to just not have a to-do list. Just put everything in your calendar. When you think of something you need to do, find the time for it. Like, okay, Saturday at two o'clock, you don't until Saturday two o'clock comes around and then you just do the thing. And it's not about your feelings. Those voices, oh, I don't feel like it. I'd rather watch Netflix. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Those are the voices that are not as powerful or can be more powerful and, and have you not take action. So I look out for the voices that stop me from taking action. Like you said before, I say yes to something and then don't take the actions. The voices are the things that stop me from taking action. The I'm not good enough. The conversations that you learned when you were a kid, those are kid conversations conversations that are running your show i absolutely love that and i'm a firm believer of of when you're talking about your those voices because i think we can be our own worst enemy um i love also i have to share when you said you put things in your calendar i also received you had gifted a, a pdf format of your goals for the year and in that pdf that you had sent out it says put this in your calendar and i've done i did that um for 2019 and um and so that's where some of that, that's where this podcast is, is coming from and my goals of getting so many podcasts out there, getting so many singles out there, et cetera. So, um, I, I love how, how you put those ideas into action and you actually, um, write them down and you schedule them like you would anything else you talked about. Um, so going back to thoughts and kind of shifting this a little bit to sure. our thoughts and you talked about anxiety um, that I think a lot of us could, can have in this field. What are some of those things that you find are anxiety prone for people that are in a creative field and or people that are trying to do things on their own? What are some of those things that could A, either trigger that and B, how can you help yourself through that? This is a great question. Um, yes, yeah, just to be clear, like when there are two different, in, in my head, there's sort of two different kinds of anxiety. One, the general anxiety disorder means that more than half the month you are sort of operating at an anxious level, a mild anxious. That's not the case for me. I'm generally pretty happy. And then when I get an anxiety, it's more anxiety attack or panic attack. They are interchangeable for me. And the doctors I talked to all, you know, I thought I actually thought I had like a physical thing. I was like getting sick. Like it would knock me out for like two days and I would, it would be the chills. It'd be all this physical stuff. And then it took me a while to learn that it was just like really extreme panic attacks. I thought I was having a heart attack, all that stuff. So that's what my, what my experience was. And I had one or two when I was a kid. And the short answer for me is uncertainty uncertainty triggers it. So when, when something comes up and, and I was, I've been able to learn to talk to my anxiety and say, Hey, I'm safe. It wants to keep me, it wants to take me out of the game. 
So I would often get, I would only get anxious at night. I would often get anxious when I was at networking events or somewhere where I could have an opportunity to show up and I, my anxiety kept me small and safe. The fact that I was dating a mountain guide, someone who was not safe. I mean, his whole job is to be, to analyze risk and assess risk. So he is actually very safe, but the perceived, you know, on the outside, like, dating, it was long distance, eight hour drives. It really started to come in a, a year into dating uh, my now husband. It was when the like, regular anxiety attack, he was, he was like, oh my God, I broke her. Like he, he was like, what's going on? And I knew him, but I also didn't know how it wasn't him. Um, and it went away when I got engaged because I think that certainty started to show up. Um, and I was, you know, the first year we were engaged for a year and then I got married and then my dad died. So the first year of our marriage, I basically cried the whole time. There's no anxiety during that. It was just grief, which is very different. I actually think I would prefer grief over anxiety. Anxiety really sucks. And for those that have it, you might agree. I don't know. It's different for everyone. Um, and then, you know, a couple of years ago, just sort of shit, making some shifts in my career, it started to come back. We moved. My husband got into an accident, not climbing actually. And it was, I, I actually started to keep a calendar of when I had anxiety attacks. It was pretty much one a month, any time that my, I had a little spat. And I think it wasn't anything to get divorced over, but I think that just like not feeling stable with him, it was like almost like a last straw. So that was my trigger. Um, but I decided I was like, I'm going to start reading about this. I started, uh, I actually just found a gratitude journal that I started January 1st, 2017. So I am now in my 700 and whatever day of writing journal every single day. It was a, a New Year's resolution because I had read this article about how scientifically when you are grateful, your brain is remembering good things and looking for good things instead of looking for what's wrong or what's missing or what you don't know, which is my default. And that is no fun to live with someone like that. Like that's no fun for my husband. That's no fun for my clients. You know, that's no fun for, for anyone. So to be training my brain to see what was good, I think started to make a difference. Um, I could never sit still in a yoga class or meditation class, but I found some apps that I really liked. I tried a dozen of them. Um, the meditation app I like is simple habit, um, in the key.co slash habit is the, a, a link that I, I share with people that gets you like some premium stuff there. And I am on my like 300th, almost my 300th day using that app. Um, although I've been using other ones. And so I basically, you know, my husband pointed out to me, he's like, when you're in project mode, you're kind of all over the place and you get anxious and you get excited and you get you like, there's all these emotions. And, um, he's like, and there's an impact over here. I can never know when you're going to be at dinner. And he's like, he was very gentle about it. It was like two years ago. He's like, what about getting a routine? And as someone who works from home and walks down a hallway into my studio, which you're looking at right now, I realized that a morning routine that starts with writing three things I'm grateful for, writing down my best moment from the last 24 hours, five minutes of meditation, five minutes of yoga, which is now turned into 10 minutes of yoga. It's 23 minutes total. And I have done it every single day for the past two years. And I have been tracking, I will actually show you this. This is very personal, but I'll show you this. This is 2018 uh, calendar. The greens are good days. The blacks are my anxiety attacks. There's one in every single month until, uh, July, there's none. August, there's none. September, October, November, December. I have not had an anxiety attack, like one that takes me out in six months. That is so good. And so I, I 100% attribute that to, I mean, I, if you want to get real personal, I track my period. I track the fights I had with my husband. I tracked when I was traveling. I track like, yeah. a, I attribute the lack of anxiety attacks in the past six months to getting a solid routine and meditating when I start to feel it coming out. So uh, like I get my app out and I do, I have like a go-to anxiety. They have like Simple Habit has a ton of different ones for anxiety or fear or whatever. Um, 
And then a hot bath is my other like go-to. Like there's a lot of physical things and, and biological things that are happening when you take when you get into water. So um, chamomile tea is proven to dull nerve endings a little bit. So that is another line of defense. I have an article on my blog, Living on Gigging, um, that my 10 lines of defense against anxiety. Um, and, and then I have a podcast episode with Avi who talks very, we talk very openly about the things we do, but I think the thing is to not resist it and to understand that it's there for a reason. And when I found out that mine was to keep me safe, I can say, okay, I'm safe. Like I am safe. Like no one is here to hurt me. Like I, and I can actually talk myself, um, down, um, talking with someone else is also very, very helpful because sometimes we get so in our heads that our stories become our own reality. And our stories are like, they're not stories they're conspiracy theories. I'm reading, um, a book called Wrong by Brene Brown. And she's a story without data. This is the scientist works like me. will love this. A story without proven data points that is just made up of your beliefs and opinions is called a conspiracy theory. Which is so brilliant. And I'm like, oh, I'm not even making up stories. I am making up conspiracy theories. Like like conspiracy theories that like my husband doesn't love me anymore or that like my my commercial client like hates what I did because they haven't called me back in two hours. Like I I go there. Like I can go and down I the so I call them the rabbit holes. I think so many of yeah. us do. I relate to the same thing. I go yeah. to that worst thing scenario and be like, Oh geez, did I Oh, maybe I better reread what I just wrote on that email. Maybe I didn't say that nice enough. I didn't mean it that way. But you're so right that we put these conspiracies in our head. And again, um, what I, and I really appreciate you sharing a lot of this because I do think we all go through this in some – whatever spectrum that you're on is that then that can put up those barriers and that can just add to the fear and add to the creative genie that we had going. And now it's, it's distinguished because we – you know. Um, or I should say extinguished because we put in that um, mm-hmm. fear and, and we just, it, and then it just feeds on itself. Um, yeah. So I just, I so appreciate you um, sharing those things. And you said that you can find out um, in the key.co slash um, habit. Habit. That's the, that's the equities. I also, we got this guy. There he is. Oh, trained as a therapy dog. And I think petting him helps too. And I have to say, a lot of what you talked about reminded me of um, Tim Ferriss and what he does a lot in the morning, too. It hasn't haven't been as consistent, but he kind of does some similar things of writing down, okay, what were the three things that you're grateful for? And then there's also affirmation statements that you can say, yep. I am yada, 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 whatever yeah. it is. Or I, you know. Affirmations are... Are great too. I will. I will. You will be the first person, the first place that I announce this live in the world. Oh my gosh! Is that last year I was working on a? I've been looking for like a gratitude journal that is not that can fit my three things, but also um, a forgiveness. There's a couple other things I wanted, and some journals are just like there's too much stuff, and I don't want to write an essay or like think too much. I want to like do my routine in the morning, but then the other journals only have like one line a day and like, they're not enough. So I actually was like, I'm going to create one. And then I started writing a paragraph about what each element is important. Like why it's important to have an affirmation, why it's important and the science behind meditation. And those paragraphs turned into essays and those essays turned into chapters. And I was like, I'm writing a book. So <laughs> the, the book, the book is called rise, align, shine. Rise, And align, shine. if you go to in the slash shine, 
you can sign up to be the first to know when it is published, because that is something that is on my docket for 2019 is to release this completely unrelated to music. I, I tell my story in it, but it is it is all about wellness and balance and communication. There's a lot of stuff about communicating with other people so that you're not just centered with yourself, but you're now becoming a better person. And therefore, you can be a leader and inspire other people to step into their own leadership. Love that. That's in the key.co slash shine. And I also love that you you have verbalized that um, and announced it to to all the listeners. So it's out there. It's the first the- time. Yeah, it's out there. I love it's it. It's an exclusive. It's an exclusive. Yeah, it's totally exclusive. I don't even know if you, like, when you sign up, I don't even know if there's an email that says, like, thanks for signing up. I think there's just a, land, like, once you sign up, you get a landing page that says, woohoo, thanks. Um, so it's, like, very fresh, and I have a cover, and that's that's it. It's still getting edited. You know, there, we're we're a process away, but I am, I'm really excited about it. I think it's something different that's, and I'm calling it the, um, the journal, well, you'll see on the, hold on, you, you'll appreciate this. I'm in the key.co slash shine. Yes. The whole, the whole thing is like, I, I was not a yoga person. I'm not a super hippy dippy person. I could never sit still. Um, so I'm calling this the complete healthy habit building gratitude journal for people who don't do mornings, routines, or journals. So it's, I, I mean, I, I need to change that a little bit because now it's actually, it's a book. It's not just a journal. Um, so, but I really want to cater to people that were like me that were like, okay, something's not working Good work. And where is the science pointing to what works? Where are the very successful people? What are they doing that works? This is all that. So Going back to your biology you and go. science too. Ah, uh, yeah, I know. Full circle all the time. Full circle. That is that, that is awesome. Congrats. Um, yeah, we all need to go out there and get that when it's available, which it will be available this year. It sounds like so. Oh, yeah. See, that's great. Um, Thanks. So we've covered we've covered a lot here, and there's again with you. I feel like we could we could talk on so many different issues uh, and take this so many different places, but. Um, I've, I've taken up already close to an hour of your time. So, um, I, I do, I do want to ask this question. If, if you could drive home one point for all the people that you primarily work with, which is people like myself, do it yourself, musicians, creative people, people that want to be healthy. What is one, what, what is one message from Cheryl Englehart that we can all take that you, you would really like to drive home, um, that's kind of a parting gift to us all to say, Hey, if you remember one thing, remember X, what would that be? Um, you have permission to say what you want and what you need. And knowing that you have permission should then give you access to sitting down and figuring out what that is. Cause I think a lot of us walk through life thinking, I would just want to look, I want to have like Beyonce's career, John Mayer's career. And we're, we're not actually sitting down and figuring out what we want because I don't think we give ourselves permission to to even say it. We're like, oh, if we say that we want to, I'm like, oh, I don't want to be a rock star. I want to actually do the behind the scenes. Like, okay, I have permission to do that. Like, giving yourself permission to, you know, get messy is, I think, is really, really important. Cheryl, thank you for your time. I want to tell everyone to make sure you know follow Cheryl on Instagram at CBE Music. Um, that handle is good for most social media, except on Twitter. It's at CBE. Connect with Cheryl. Uh, check out in the key code. Check out key conversations. Check out all the cool stuff that she's doing. Because, like I said, and I have to, I have to say, the first time I met you was on a course. I think it was through Reverb Nation. I might have got the invitation, but it was 
for you to look over our websites and you talked about like color and you talked about all those things. It was a free yeah. thing and I had signed up for it and that was the first time I had, I had engaged with you and, you and you gave great advice. But it's since then I've, I've taken, um, I've taken a couple of your courses and it's just been, it's just been a thrill, really uh, a privilege to, to get to know you more and, and just all that you do. So thank you so much for spending time with us and um, yeah, here's, here's to 2019. So Thank you for inviting me. This is so fun. You asked really good questions and super psyched. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Going Solo podcast. I'm grateful. I am grateful for your listenership. I'm grateful for you to take the time to listen to these amazing people and amazing stories. Uh, people that are gone out there and done these things that um, that you can do. It's possible. It is possible. Um, please follow me on Twitter at Mayor Solo Piano, on Facebook at Mayor Solo Piano, on Instagram at Mayor Solo Piano. And let me know what you're up to. What projects are you saying yes to? What are those things that are stretching you and the things that you're walking towards? So, like I said, it's possible. You can do it. So, thanks for tuning in. And until next time, I just want to reiterate what Cheryl just said to all of us, which is you have permission. Go do it.